Amen. Thank you, worship team. Amen? Uh, I guess so, Pastor John. Listen, I... I um, what's that? Who's misbehaving? Okay. I would expect that. All right. I, I, um, I am so um, nervous sometimes that I will say something that comes out wrong. So if my thank you for pastor appreciation came out wrong, my apology, okay? There was no uh, sarcasm intended. I found this um, card waiting for me up here. And uh, so uh, I, I hope you understand what I, what I love about true Christianity is its authenticity. Do you know what I mean by that? When you're really living the real deal. So... When I have to get my Mother's Day card ready, because I have to, I mean, how fun is that? But if I really love my mother, then I send her a card. I'm not telling you what I do, but I'm a, of course I send her a card. And uh, so all I was trying to communicate was that I don't want people to do it out of obligation, you know what I mean? And, uh, but I've, I've had some uh, gracious gifts and, and uh, cards, and I want to just read. This, was, this is the kind of thing that does encourage me. Um, you have reinforced the urge to wait on God. You have given a sense of purpose when I had none. You've told me the trouble will pass. The trouble will pass. Trust me, right, God? So you give me hope when I had none. That's, that's encouraging. I did something right. I won't let it go to my head. And uh, sorry you don't get my humor, and I will pray for you. So, this morning we want to continue on the subject of worship. And if you're visiting, we're delighted that you're here. And I'm trying to instruct people who are seeking, I believe, to try to get God's reality working in their lives. Because without a doubt, you have encountered, every one of us have encountered people who think they've got God's reality in their lives, but we're not seeing much reality, not much authenticity. And sometimes what we see kind of sets us off. We kind of like, really? Is that what he's like? And so learning about him, we looked at last, uh, last couple of weeks, uh, looked at the importance of uh, the holiness of God and appreciating who it is that we've, we have to deal with. And that he has bridged the gap. Um, This song that we sang, Good, Good Father, why is that possible? It's possible because the cross of Christ has bridged the gap between our brokenness and our actually, whether we're conscious of it or not, our rebellion against God, right? Uh, Really, deep down, when, when the lights come on, as time goes on, we realize, man, I have been in rebellion against God, right? I've been a naughty boy. Thank you. And you're in there, brother, as we all are. Oh, and I totally, ah, I'm so, I had a really weird morning. I did. It was chaotic. My my car alarm went off when I was halfway, you know, I was heading over here and I had to run back and find my, anyway. And so I forgot something, but I'll bring it next week because years ago, a brother gave me a bona fide shofar. You know what that is? That's the, uh, the ram's horn trumpet that the Hebrews use. And uh, this last week was the Day of Atonement. I thought that would be appropriate to call us to worship with a shofar, don't you think? It's kind of fun, actually. The only thing I need to warn you is that I will blow it that direction because the smell that comes out of it will knock your socks off. 
and you will not be happy during the rest of the worship service unless I make sure it doesn't go toward you. But what I would like you to do with me um, today is I would like, I don't do this very often, but I would love to have you stand as we read the Word of God and as I open our, our time in the Word in prayer. Don't do it a lot, but uh, just stand up with me if you would. Remember, the Hebrews all stood up when Moses opened the Word because of respect for God. This is not just our opinions. It's not the newspaper. It is the Word of the living God, right? Anybody want to say amen to that? Amen. It really is. So here it is. First, we're talking about a way of life, but here it is. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, as we're here together for the liberty that we have and for the help of the Holy Spirit that you promise us. As I was praying with our brothers and sisters this morning, getting ready for worship, which is no small task, really, to turn our eyes and our hearts and our ears and our mouths, our voices in attention to the living God, Because there's so much to distract us. And many times we even come into the room with a different agenda in our mind. So thank you that you're trying to help us. That the scripture tells me, as hard as it is for me to get my my mind's hands around this. That Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high making intercession for us right now. Right now. Well, what is he praying? Probably that we become more like him because it's our ultimate benefit that we do. And that you, Father in heaven, would be glorified by your children. And so, since we learned in these last few weeks that Jesus made it clear that the Father in heaven is looking for true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth, Would you help us understand that a little more today? Bind the enemy who may be whispering to people right now, what a bunch of junk. You actually believe this stuff? Thank you that you have proven yourself over and over again in history. And even in my lifetime, I've seen your finger manifested in ways that prove that you are the living God and that your word is true. So drive it home into our spirits, we pray today. In the great name of Jesus, we give you worship today. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So that's my launching verse. And I'll back up just for a second to show you the title, A Way of Life. There's the verses. It's a series we're doing called Worship as a Verb, which I stole from a brother named Mr. Weber, who wrote a book called Worship as a Verb. How profound is that? So there you go. First Peter, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. This, this idea that is communicated here is directly swiping information out of the Old Testament. So just so we're aware, let me give you a very quick high-level survey of uh, what happened in the Old Testament. 
God selected a man named Abraham, promised if he would walk by faith with him that he would use his family line to bless all the nations of the world. We forget all this. We see it as often. God selected the Jewish people, pulled them aside and said, aren't we special and better than everybody else? That's not what was going on. What was going on is I'm going to use you as a light to the Gentiles. Why? Because all that was created because of the rebellion of man against the living God has been fractured, broken, fallen away, and is lost. And God is in the business of finding again what was lost and bringing it back into reconciliation with himself, right? God has given us, Paul said, the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? It means we need to be reconciled with God again, and because of that, we can actually be reconciled with one another. Reconciliation is a big issue today in our culture, right? Sorry, I had the wrong date, but we're thinking about, we were talking about our our Jewish friends in in Florida whose... uh, Cemetery was desecrated in the last week and how we as Christians would of course stand with them and say we think this is completely wrong. Everyone should have the right to be who they are and, and to, be, uh, and to uh, worship God the way they choose and uh, even if we feel that we are wor- worshiping the Messiah that you do not believe in, we stand with you in your right and in and the need for safety and not being persecuted. What a sick thing. So, I don't want to get off track. The point is, the Old Testament people were called upon, and here's what God said to them. I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. Now, in their context, they had priests set apart who did the worship business of the children of Israel, right? They ran the temple. They took the sacrifices. They offered them on the altar. But that wasn't the only thing priests did. If you take time to study it, they led in worship services. They not only did the sacrifices, they taught the people what they should do to be right with God and pleasing to God. People would come to them and say, I don't know what to do with this situation. Even if it was a boundary marker issue or a legal issue or somebody didn't pay them their you know, their appropriate wages, you would go to the priests because they were the ones who were acquainted with the law. And they would instruct, here's how you walk your way through it. And they would judge, help judge. So that was the job of the priest. It was really a go-between issue, leading in worship and all of that. So in that light, let me take another verse right out of this context, speaking about us being a royal priesthood. There's a transfer to the New Testament, the difference being that we all participate in the priesthood. Nevertheless, the children of Israel were a kingdom of priests, that was a, a community that had worship of the true God that was designed to attract the Gentiles. Probably, the, you know, if you read the Old Testament carefully, it's really not about us being better. It really is, over and over again, an invitation to those outside to come and know Jehovah God. I want you to get back in with me. I want you to get reconciled. I want you to watch my people. They're supposed to be a light to you. They didn't always get that. Just like the priesthood today doesn't always get that. Anybody with me on that? Yes, Pastor John. I hate when you bring this up. But it really is so. I'm going to show you another verse if I could. It's earlier, I believe, in the the same text. Verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a what? 
spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? The Old Testament was lambs and doves and goats and bulls. That's what the sacrifices were. All the the layers of offerings, we'll have to look at that sometime just for the fun of it. Boy, tons of different kind of guilt offering, sin offering, fellowship offering, right? Consecration ordination offerings, just for the fun of it offerings. Well, it doesn't say that, but pretty much. Just want to give this to God. It's a free will offering. That's what it's called. All these different offerings. The New Testament says you are to offer up sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Well, it's not talking about bulls and goats, is it? It really isn't. Let me read something to you out of a... I I told you I have a whole ton of books on this subject. This one was, I think, 98 this was written, but it's an excellent scholarly work. Enter His Courts with Praise, Old Testament Worship for the New Testament Church, Andrew Hill. I just want to read something about the priesthood of the believer. The Apostle Peter applied the royal priesthood and holy nation of Exodus 19. That's where we first heard these words. To the church of Jesus, this universal Christian priesthood belonging to all those joined to Jesus Christ through faith is called the priesthood of all believers. By the way, this this here is a Baptist church. Do you know what the six principles of being a Baptist are? I bet you don't. Okay, I'm not telling you. But one of them is the priesthood of all believers. See, some people say, well, if you're a Baptist, you don't do these things, and you do the. Usually that's nothing to do with what it means to be a Baptist. It comes out of history, it comes out of digging back into the Word and saying, these are critical principles that we want to stand by. One of them is that. The priesthood of believers, which has profound implications, brothers and sisters, because I'm not the minister. You are. You're the priesthood. Okay? My job is to give you credentials. Online, I ordain you all. No, I'm kidding. My job is to train. Your job is to do ministry. The New Testament understands the church of Jesus to be the typological fulfillment of the Old Testament people of God. Now listen to this. This is a great statement. This dual ministry of the Christian priesthood includes offering spiritual sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. Okay, now the first half of our service, we just praise God and worship, right? And we even gave gifts. But listen, there's two sides of it. This dual ministry of Christian priesthood includes offering spiritual sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving in worship and, number two, proclaiming Christ's redemption through word and deed. He restates that. Hence, the book of Hebrews identifies this spiritual priestly service as the offering of praise and worship, the proclamation of Christ's gospel, and the ministry of doing good to others in the name of Christ. What was the purpose of being a kingdom of priests in the Old Testament? That you might be a light to the Gentiles. Yes, I'm going to bless you in ways I'm not going to bless other people. Why? Because it's going to be so clear how good it is to follow a good, good father that we just sung about. So that the Gentiles would see it. And one of the greatest kings of the Old Testament after David was his son, Solomon. 
And when Solomon dedicated the temple, does anybody remember that long prayer in Chronicles 7? You know, if my people who are called by my name, remember that whole long one, right? It's a, word, it's a revival prayer. But in there, he says this. When the Goy, the Gentile, when he hears about your great name, for he will surely hear about your great name, when he comes to this temple and makes petition, answer his prayer so that the nations might know who you are. That's what he says. He had it clear. He was not shocked when the Queen of Sheba came to visit him. That was not an accident. That was the plan. And it hasn't changed. In fact, it's more intensive. God turns up the the front burner on it in the New Testament context. You're all very quiet this morning. Are you okay? Okay, I'm just checking, making sure you're okay. You're attentive. So, God has this in mind for us, that we would be offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, and by our good deeds and by our sharing, the gospel is actually proclaimed, this is who we are. So, let me invite you, if you're a note taker, and even if you're not, this will help you know where I'm going this morning, because sometimes I know I go, ba 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 and like, where are you, and you left something out. I hear about that. Don't ever be afraid to ask me questions, okay? Both here and via email. On your, uh, on your bulletin, there's notes, a way of life, worship is a verb, and uh, we just talked about the priesthood. The next section, we're going to go quickly through. There are three ways that we worship. You see that? Got the three things listed. One, formal worship. Two, keep your shirts on, religious activity. Everybody, we don't do religious. Oh, stop. Just, just, just wait. And then... Everything else, you cannot escape. Formal worship, religious activity, everything else. And then there's a fill-in. I'll, I'll even have it on the screen for you later so you can't miss it, okay? What I'd like you to do, and I've done this before, is take the Bible out of the pew unless you know your way through your own Bible. I want you to turn to Romans 12. Uh, a pastor who works for us preached on this sometime recently, from what I understand. Am I right? There's only one other pastor. It wasn't me. Although you could preach on this for months, right? Everybody recognized. Page 1136 in the Pew Bible. If you don't know your way around Bibles, uh, that'll help. And it is, uh, this is a nice one. We can read it. And this is a nice Bible we got. Don't you like them? Okay, I do. Anyway. Chapter 12. 1136, 1136 down in the lower left-hand corner. You'll see there, chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I'm going to keep reading, so follow with me, and then I'm going to highlight, okay? So let's just read through. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You may prove what the Is it possible for me as a Christian to know that I'm in God's will? Are you sure? Okay, you won that one. All right. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. There's the first step. 
I had to be challenged one time about that, kind of in reverse, because, I mean, we all have done, we all think more highly, somewhere along the line, right, generally. I, got a, I had a guy get in my face and say, how about not thinking less of yourself? Who are you in Christ, and what are the gifts that you have? This is very interesting. Think properly, he says. He ought to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So he's instructing me how to get from verse 1 and 2 about affirming the will of God and having my mind renew, and he's taking me someplace. And he says, For just as we have many members in one body and all members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Oh, my. There's a connection here. There is a connection. So let's look at it, if we can. First and foremost... um, We're going to talk about formal worship. I just want to hit this very lightly and quickly. But let me read something from Mr. Weber's book by way of preparation for that. What do we mean by formal worship? Well, it's what we're doing this morning. Here's what we mean usually. Going to a church building. Now, we know you don't have to meet in a formal church building. There are Christians all around the world meeting wherever they have to, some of them in the jungle hiding from persecution, whatever it might be. Other places can't afford buildings. Some would prefer not to have them. It depends. But we think of it as formal. When the saints gather together and they worship, right, or maybe have a formal prayer meeting or something, we call that going to worship, right? It's formal worship. And that's appropriate. We know what we're talking about when we say that. We completely get it. Here's my question. Does it work for me? Does it refresh me? Let me read this from Mr. Weber. In worship, we respond to God and each other, and worship is a verb. He says this. This is not all that profound, but it is profound. I am convinced that God intends for our worship today to be accompanied by a powerful presence and working of the Holy Spirit. Now, he's talking about Acts chapter 2, where the church was initiated and, you know, tongues of fire, speaking in tongues, miracles, wonders, 3,000 people get saved in one service. Gee, I wouldn't want that to happen. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but here's what he does says. I do believe worship in our contemporary evangelical churches can move beyond the dry, intellectual, mechanical forms and evoke within us a sense of awe, adoration, thankfulness, and downright enthusiasm for what God has done for us. Enthusiasm, right? Don't you like that word? Well, I'm full of enthusiasm. A sense of awe, a sense of adoration, excitement. God has done something in my life. I have a reason. I think we lose sight of that and it becomes ho-hum. Does it refresh us? Does it fill our tanks? Well, then we should pull the stops out and try to get God here. Oh, he's everywhere. Oh, stop. I know he's everywhere, but he's not everywhere in the same way, right? That's when he's moving on people, that's different. We want a redemptive visitation of the Spirit on our behalf. Listen, great story in the New Testament. The church has already found that that big event happened, Acts chapter 2. It's later on. 
Missions is about to begin. I want you to look at the language of this verse. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. See that word ministering? While, while they were worshiping the Lord, they were ministering, they were serving the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. You know, that's the beginning of the mission uh, project, if you will, in the New Testament. It's the beginning of purposely, intentionally going out after the lost among the Gentiles. You find a beginning there. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, by the way, I didn't put the Greek word on the, on the screen. Sometimes people like that. But listen, this is the word for serving or ministering to the Lord. Liturgia. Sound like anything? Liturgy. A word that we use for worship. So while they're worshiping the Lord, they're praying, they're praising God. Who knows what? They may be reading scripture to each other, encouraging each other. We don't know exactly. But they're ministering before the Lord. And while they're in that place of expectation, are we meeting with God here? Are we just doing club? Or, you know, we're doing our due diligence, dragging our carcass in, you know, and sitting down and putting... When will that guy stop raving so I can go home and have lunch, you know? I mean, is that where I'm at? But there they are ministering before the Lord and the Spirit of God breaks in and says, I want you to do something. Do you ever have hunger for that? Boy, I do. I think I shared this in our mentoring group. I'm not sure. You have to correct me. But years ago, we were praying as a group. There was a a congregational prayer meeting like we have on Sunday nights every other week, twice a month. So we were praying, and we had a young girl in our church. How old was Dahlia? Kindergarten age, dying of leukemia. And we were interceding for God to rescue And the Holy Spirit said, you need to let go of Dahlia. I'm going to take her home. Can you submit to God and and glorify him as her parents worship God on the front pew of our church, worshiping him after he had taken their baby home? The Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit broke in and said, it hit us like a, bolt of lightning in that prayer meeting and in two days she was in heaven who are we dealing with somebody might think I'm crazy sometimes I wonder about myself that too thank you for helping me out there brother I love you too Is God alive? See, that's one of my favorite expressions. We serve the living God. He's alive. That's formal worship. Are our expectations of formal worship too low? I think they are. Number two, religious actions indicate that I serve a divine being. By the way, anybody want to be offended at the word religious actions? Because I really don't care if you are. But I just No, let me instruct you. Here's what it says. If you look it up in Webster's, manifesting faithful devotion to an acknowledged deity. You're all religious. By definition, we, do, we like to, I get it. We like to distinguish. We're not talking about religion. We're talking about a relationship. I get that. 
And those of you who are listening in, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, that's what he's looking for. The Father is searching for those who want to worship him for real. Worship him in spirit and in truth. And we can show you how to come into that family anytime. Catch us after service. Talk to one of our leaders. We'd love to pray with you and coach you. Manifesting faithful devotion to an acknowledged deity. That's serving God. We say a person is a servant of God. Let's take a minute with our Romans text since we have it open. Let's look right at number one. I'm urging you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Think about that. Is your body a living and holy sacrifice? I mean, it says it. I didn't make it up. Health in America is not too good. A living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Now, why? Because the body is the vehicle that we're using here until God gives us our resurrection glory, right? It's the vehicle we have. Now, to offer myself and make the vehicle available for God to move through me is my spiritual service of worship. Very interesting word we'll see in just a minute that is used for worship. But reasonable, your spiritual service of worship. Anybody remember the old King James one? It was a reasonable, something reasonable, something like that. You're a King James man. What was it? Well, you were. What's reasonable service of worship? Who's got it? Reasonable service of worship, right? Isn't that the word? Reasonable? You know why it says that? Because the word is logikos. Logical. New Jerusalem Bible puts it this way. I urge you, brothers, remembering the mercies of God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, dedicated, acceptable to God. That's the kind of worship you as sens- that's the kind of worship for you as sensible people. It's sensible. It's logical. But what is interesting is the word that is used for service, your worshipful service, your spiritual service of worship, the NASB. It's kind of a cumbersome translation, but it's saying this. The word serve is the word that we use for divine service or worship, latreia or latruo. It can refer to a servant who's been hired, who serves either gods or man. It can mean to render religious service or homage, to worship, to perform sacred services, other, to offer other gifts, to worship God in the observance of rites instituted for his worship. For example, the priests do latreia or latruo by officiating and discharging the sacrifices. But anything that I do to serve God because I'm a servant of God is latreo. Okay? Anything that I do. For example, I'm going to show you a picture. It will immediately conjure up all kinds of thoughts. Who are the religious people among us? You can't. Did I go the wrong way? I did. I went too fast. I hate when that happens. The word service, this will help you. Jesus said to him, Satan, when he's being tempted, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God. And what? Did you see there's two words there? Worship. Proskuneo. Bow down, kiss toward worship. We talked about that, I think, last week. That's worship, but serve him. What you do with your life, what makes you look religious? Don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about phony Pharisee religious. That's not what I'm talking about. Truly marks you as a follower of Jesus. Here's the picture I thought I was ready to show you. Anybody know who they are, right? 
Yes. The Amish. Yeah. It's Amish. I know it's Amish. That's my humor. I'm sorry. I just see Amish, right? They dress that way because they believe that's what God wants them to do and they don't care what you think. Right? They don't care. I think it's kind of cool, maybe. I think I'll move down there. See. <laughs> wonder if... No. I, <laughs> my point is, there are things that people do that mark you as one of those. Anybody remember the, 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 the sort of Amish movie called Witness with Harrison Ford? I'm not saying you have to go see it. I'm not recommending anything. But they're, they're out eating a, a hot dog in a restaurant, and the Amish woman and her son stop and give thanks, and he's already shoveling it in his mouth, the cop, you know, Harrison Ford. And he go, you know, and he doesn't know what to do because all of a sudden a religious moment entered into his life. He didn't know what to do with it, and everybody else in the room was looking, you know. Gee, if you bow your head in prayer over your meal, somebody may look at you. Yeah, oh, well. And who knows what they're thinking? They may mock, and I've seen that happen to me. Or they may go, huh. What's that about? Huh. Somebody that takes it seriously. Hopefully that once in a while, right? What are some of the things that mark us as his followers? Be, yeah, I don't think you have to dress like that and wear and ride a buggy and all of that, although it's very cozy and... And, um, yeah, whatever. Cool. (laughs) Samples of serving God. People come in your house. You have verses on the wall, for example. Not that you do it to impress people, but there are just signs around your house, right? Your Bible is out on the table that you read every morning or whatever it happens to be. Praying for dinner. Devotions. Your witness when you get the opportunity. Sometimes almsgiving. Sometimes volunteering in the community because it's a good thing to do and I think Jesus would do it too. Or can I say, uh, even within the realm of the assembly, the, the followers of Christ, the passage we're looking at in Romans implies that there is a ministry given and when I minister, I'm serving God. Are you following what I'm saying? I'm serving him by doing this. So when I rise in the morning and my wife and I pray and we read scripture, we're serving our God. If somebody was watching us, if you're you're doing that, you're serving your God. Praise the Lord, right? Okay, I get some points for that, right? (laughs) It's the right thing. Serving God, it's worshiping him. I'm worshiping God. And here's the verse I wanted to park on when it comes to ministry, if I could. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us each exercise them accordingly. Remember the context. Renew your mind. Offer yourself. Make yourself available to God. You'll be able to discern the will of God. And speaking of the will of God, he's given you a gift which helps you know the will of God. Are you with me? Do I know what my gift is? Am I trying to find out? Am I finding a place where I can serve? I found mine. I know what I'm supposed to do. I love doing it, right? You can kind of tell I generally like doing what I do. Well, once in a while. 
And all of us have... And, and this isn't my only gift. Preaching isn't my only gift. There are others. And when I see the Spirit use me in that, it's uplifting. When you see the Spirit use you, when you've heard his prompting or you've pushed into the gift that you have, it's, it's energizing, isn't it? It's like, ah, I got that right. Oh, so cool. And the effect on the person, you know, that you're ministering to comes back and says, you know, I get little cards like this that say, I got what you said. Woohoo! Now don't let it go to your head. No, it's all great, isn't it? It really is. So, finding the place. This is part of the will of God, and it's something we need to enter into a little bit more. And I, I'm going to, when I get to the end, I'm going to give some practical considerations. I want to consider things that we need to tweak, and I want to encourage you with the things you're doing right. I've already said, if you're doing some of those, and I hate using the word religion because it's so tainted, but if you're doing those deeds of devotion, you're worshiping God. It's a good thing. I mean, even coming here on Sunday. Oh, I don't want to get on that. We're, I'm going to talk about formal worship later. Not today. But there's one more slot in your bulletin, right? Everything else. Everything else. How I live in my, my home with my spouse. How I raise my children. All of those things speak to whether I'm serving God or not, right? We uh, were... Our, uh, some of the mentorees were working through this book called Emotionally, Spiritually... What's the name of that book? Nobody knows what it is. Nobody knows the name of the book, including me. I just blanked out. What is it? What did he say? <laughs> Emotional. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, boy, am I in trouble. Emotionally healthy spirituality. And, I mean, this guy meddles with our life, right, guys? Meddles, meddles, you know. And uh, I think with that and the uh, doctrinal book, talking about God's creation of male and female and how he designed this whole thing and thinking about the perfect relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, which is where community began. Boy, does my home reflect that kind of harmony? You get what I'm saying? I mean, we were reading that, and I was like, I better start looking at this. Right, dear? And I, I, you know, there used to be a, I know this is an aside, there used to be this corny thing pastors would counsel couples who were going to get married that there's, the husband and the wife, and there's God. And that it's a triangle, and the further up the triangle you go, right, toward who? Toward God, the shorter this line gets, right? The closer you get. And it sounds corny, but it does work. It really does. And uh, I will just give God glory for that because he's, he's good, and it does work. My home life... My personal, uh, we were just discussing about a sister who went to be with the Lord that I had to do the funeral a while back. And um, my wife was talking to one of the daughters, and we were reminded that this dear sister, Grandma Barb, we called her. I've mentioned her before. She used to say, you are who you are when you're at home. 
When nobody's watching, that is who you are. Never mind this, you know, image. Who am I really? God is in the business of remaking me, really, from the inside out, right? The velveteen rabbit. You get real and transformed. It's fun. What about me in the workplace, you know? The Bible says something about that. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance, for it is who? Who are you serving? The Lord. We don't particularly um, love that necessarily. By the way, can I just tell you what the context is? Good morning. <laughs> Somebody might need to help her. I don't know. Not, not sure about the stairs or whatever. Um, anybody know who this was written to? No, that's too easy, the Colossians. No, who, who's the command to? Yeah, it was believers in the church. They were slaves and servants. Can you imagine? I'm telling you, serve like you're serving God himself. You're collecting garbage for a living? Be the best garbage collector you can be. (laughs) Just heard that over the weekend. Whatever it is, do it as unto the Lord. I mean, that... That is why when revivals used to hit communities like Binghamton, where I came from, they loved to have uh, preachers come that would get the the people who go to the churches obeying God because they'd go back and pay their bills. They would pay the debts. They'd give back stuff they stole from the stores. Christians don't do stuff like that, do they? Well, some of them fell into it, but anyway, not none of no one here. But you get what I'm saying? They wanted that because they wanted to hire Christians who were living it out. It was to their advantage. I hate this. I, I'm not in any way being, um, trying to be negative, but that ship has largely sailed in America. Evangelicalism is looked at very askew, and we've earned it, frankly, some of it. Do your work heartily. There's one example. What about my time? My R&R. What about R&R? Whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all to the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. What about my pleasure time, right? <laughs> do you remember when I've quoted from um, John Ortberg, um, The Life You've Always Wanted? And he makes this statement in the beginning of his book, it says, we're all concerned. We wanna, I want to work on my spiritual life. And he says, God doesn't care about your spiritual life. He cares about your life because your whole life belongs to him. What do you think? He's a killjoy? Stay in your room. Stand in the corner. No, you don't get any more ice cream. I mean, is that what you think? Because that's how we treat him, Right. Oh, no, my time. Look, I used to do, I was in ministry. My day off, you know, it's like, do whatever. As if God was like, no, I want to work you to death. You know, I want to see you fall over unconscious. I did most of that to myself. It wasn't God trying, get it? 
Why don't we just say, I'm done controlling the universe and let God have it? Let him be the boss. Because that's what it's about, really. And friends, this is possible for all of us. I can drive my motorcycle to the glory of God. I can sell it tomorrow if he tells me to. Give it to the poor. I can do that because he owns it, not me. You can play certain sports to the glory of God. That's hard to believe because it happens on Sunday morning so many times. But anyway, you, you can. You can honor him. Prove of it. Remember this guy? No humming. Thank you very much. If I wanted the music, I'd have ran the video. And uh, Eric, Le- <laughs> I'm teasing. This is Eric Little, right? Everybody know? Famous cat. If you've never seen, listen, I can recommend this movie without reservation. Chariots of Fire. Story of a consecrated Presbyterian, I believe. <laughs> Staying on task. Um, who loved Jesus with all his heart. And he's a track star. He's, he, he wins the Olympics in 1910, something like him. It was awesome. He's got young kids you know, hanging on his every word. He's a role model, not unlike, thank God, you know, some Christian athletes today are choosing to be. There was an article in our paper today praising some of the model guys instead of the troublesome guys. I thought it was great. It was a great article. Tim Tebow was a, the title. And um, the point being this, kids are hanging on his every word. And his sister, who's this kind of, I want to be careful, uptight Christian missionary lady, is saying, but Eric, you have to go to the mission field. I don't do what sort of, and on and on. And he has to finally calm her down. Thank you, brother. That's all right. We'll wait. It's okay. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I didn't touch my poop. <laughs> That's only a religious item. It's okay. So if you've seen it, you know the story, right? She's uptight, get to the mission field. He's planning to go to the mission field and comes the great line where he says, Jenny, Jenny, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. His head is back. If you know the story, when he'd run like an animal, they say he ran like a wild animal. And when his head went back, it was when he was in the zone and he could feel the glory of God. It's like, Whoa, that gives me goosebumps today, just telling the story. Can I actually do that? I mean, was Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrong when he said, today I shall smoke a cigar to the glory of God? (gasps) What? They didn't know about carcinogens back then, okay? So no debate about all that. The point is, are you able to live in what God has blessed you with? And enjoy it. And here's some questions. I've got some comments about that, so let me finish up. Friends, it really is possible. Let me read to you something out of a text by David Peterson who wrote Engaging with God. 
Christianity was to be distinguished from the various cults which flourished back in those days, not by any rituals or secret practices, but by the consecrated lifestyle of its adherents. Back then, you did religion, just like people do today. Oh, I have a friend in trouble, or I'm concerned about my finances, so I go and see the reverend or the rabbi or the priest or whatever. I I light a candle, I make a donation, I do that. But the rest of my life... that's not even involved, you know. I just I need some I need some upward help, so I go and throw a few shekels that way. Am I making that up, or is that the way it is, right? Oh, it's oh, I did something really bad. I better get you know prayed up and confess or whatever. But the rest of life, I, it's all for me. It's my life. I do whatever I want with it. And that's how the pagan cults in the days of Christianity were at the beginning. That's what they did. Appease this God, appease that God, just do whatever you want. Some of them had an idea of serving that God and took it more seriously, but often it was just you do the ritual, and Christianity was remarkably different because they were serving their God all the time. Even in their fun. He's not taking your, all your toys. You might want to take some of them away, I don't know. Things that aren't good for us. But it's a blessing, right? So here's, here's, here's the fill-in on your bulletin. Worship as the consecrated lifestyle of the converted. Worship as a consecrated lifestyle of the converted. Let me just make a very basic statement. That is describing true discipleship. That's what discipleship is. If it's just a little... Little, you know, the extra credit card in my wallet or the, a little compartment of my life that I deal with Jesus, I'm not really walking as a disciple. Real disciples are true worshipers. They'll worship him in spirit and in... There you go. That's discipleship. And as we're processing our, our books like uh, Emotionally Healthy, Spiritual Newness, whatever in the book title... Uh, Guys are saying, I'm thinking about this all the time. It's, it's like everywhere. And it's like, yes, that's the whole point. He is everywhere. God is not interested in your spiritual life. He's interested in your life, your whole life. So we need help sometimes. That's why Romans chapter two, uh, 12, verse 2 says, if I can get the right one. That's not it. That's not it. This is it. Here it is. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing. i got to start thinking about my life differently. Stop categorizing or compartmentalizing. I can prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Know that I'm where I'm supposed to be. Know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. It's okay. It can actually happen. Anybody ever read um, J. Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest? I know some of you do. Here's February 26. Listen to this. Our misgivings about Jesus. This is the problem. This is why we hold back. No, no, I've got to control this because Jesus is going to ruin all my fun. I, I just know it. I mean, that's him. It's like having a mission conference. I don't want to go to a mission conference. God might tell me to go to Africa. I don't want to go to Africa. You know, that's the old story. Now it's probably somewhere else. I don't know. It's like, yeah, he really is out to get you. Yeah, that's what I found. Anyway, have you ever said to yourself, I am impressed with the wonderful truths of God's word, 
but he can't really expect me to live up to that and work all those details into my life. I mean, come on. I hate this guy, by the way. <laughs> when it comes, I'm teasing. When it comes to confronting Jesus Christ on the basis of his qualities and abilities, our attitudes reflect religious superiority. We think his ideals are lofty and they impress us, but we believe he is not in touch with reality. That what he says cannot actually be done. That has to be wrong. But we don't often think about it, right? Am I thinking that way? That's the question. Oh, who has more fun than people, my wife always says. Okay. Let me give you some practical considerations. Do I compartmentalize? You know what I mean? This is mine. God can have that. This can be. This is it. So, my stuff, my wrong thinking, I'm grudging God, as opposed to, am I sanctifying my whole life? Am I making it available to him? I'm telling you, following Jesus is fun. It really is. I got one yes out of the whole room. Okay, so the rest of us, uh, my office is open. We can talk about this. All we Sanctifying your Can Jesus, let me ask you, in the things that I'm doing in my R&R, my private time, my business, whatever, can you see Jesus doing that? If it's immoral, dump it. I'm going to give you another secret to the Christian life. You're not going to like this one. If it's questionable, dump it. Anything that's not of faith is sin, according to the scripture. Did you know that? So he doesn't want me wondering. I know I can drive my motorcycle to the glory of God. Okay? I know I can play pool to the glory of God. Not gamble on the pool table, but I can play pool to the glory. You get what I'm saying? He's not this huge killjoy. I can see Jesus doing all kinds of things that are fun in this world. He was a fun person to be around. He hung out with people. He went to parties. He went to parties. When they ran out of wine, don't even get me started. But anyway, I mean, what? Oh, that wasn't really, oh, come on. Anyway. Can you see, are you burying your treasure? Do you have a gift that's not being used? Do you really think when we stand before God, he's going to say, well done? If I'm not pressing in, if I'm not saying, I want to find the thing I should put my hands to. By the way, every one of those things, you recognize, I do this to the glory of God. I was, I was uh, driving. Can you drive to the glory of God? Yeah, there are some important principles when you drive to the glory of God. Put down the texting. Don't run people off the road. No, no hand, all that other stuff, you know. Slow down. I've had to, I've had to like, Lord, bless that person who I want to run off the road. You know, bless. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yesterday, I'm driving upstate yesterday, and I'm looking at the glory of God's creation. And I'm, I'm worshiping. I'm like, God, isn't that serving him? And you do that. When you do that, you're on. You get it? You're on, baby. You're on. That's good. Burying your treasure isn't good. If you've found a place to serve, even if it's not your gift yet, keep seeking, find your gift, because when you do find your gift, it'll pour joy back into your soul. Am I being stingy with God? Does everything I have, is it available to him? Or am I unwilling to sacrifice? So let me just say that there's one thing I do need to address, and that is, 
I've mentioned it before, what will transition us from country club or cruise ship to battleship is that everybody's got to put their hand to something to help us, okay? Maybe you're in a, a place in your life where the only thing physically you can do is pray for us. Well, then do it. But we have to be willing to put our hands to some things. And just in terms of a practical application, um, being available to make ministry happen. Um, I can't take one Sunday out of every three months and think that's going to be consistent, effectual ministry. It's not going to work. And it's why things haven't been working. Bite the bullet, commit, be there, make it happen, and see if God doesn't bless it. So let me just encourage us with that because I think we need to transition a bit in some of those things. I've gone on long enough. Have we learned anything about worship today? Maybe a little. All that we do, really, and God's wanting to bless us in that. He really is. Let's stand together as we go. Thank you, God, for your people, the gathering of the saints, the act of worship just in being here, lifting our voices, giving, listening, worshiping you. Maybe some of us today have had a few minutes to encourage one another, speak life to one another. Lord, that's worship. That's part of our offering of spiritual sacrifices to God. Thank you that there are opportunities to proclaim the glories of our Savior, His excellencies. That there is something outward that's supposed to happen as well as what we do upward. Lord, even what we're doing in the back of this uh, sanctuary with these uh, uh, wiped out uh, rooms and those who served were serving you and worshiping as they did it. Whether they were conscious of that or not, it really was an act of service to you because we want those places better for ministry purposes. We want people to feel welcome. We want to win people who have never praised Jesus from the heart to come to a point where they do. So, Lord, thank you for your people. Instruct us and lead us in the paths of righteousness for your namesake. Put your angels around us this week. We'll thank you for helping us. In the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen, Amen. amen. Have a great day. Tonight's prayer meeting for those of you who can make it.